You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Mark, it's Sunday night, a rare Sunday night Beltway Briefing recording. A rare Sunday with football, no less. With football and a very exciting day because your Eagles... Well, Went the down, Mark. Washington football team, the nameless Washington football team took us down. They took you down. My Giants play tomorrow night, and uh, who knows what happens. Good luck. But, Mark, uh, it's been a big two weeks, and then there were two. <laughs> we're back to, uh, we're back back to, to the, the beginning. beginning, back to the future. Yep. Uh, we we uh, It's been a big two weeks, so you've uh, – you have a new grandchild. E. Savannah Alderman. E. Savannah Alderman. One week and one day old. You have Probably. a daughter that's gotten married. I have a son-in-law. Ben you have a Lennon son-in-law. Has been my son-in-law for one week. Yeah, one or and two we lost things Schultz. going on. And we, we lost, lost Schultz. Yeah, I forgot about that along the way. I had, <laughs> I had other things to distract me. Mark B., Savannah Alderman is the leading candidate to replace Schultz on our podcast. <laughs> She's I have right. a sneaking suspicion, though, <laughs> that she isn't going to be a Trumpster. Not a chance. So she's a, she's a Brooklyn girl. Yeah. So, uh, but congratulations and yeah. congratulations to our loyal listener, Ethan Alderman, right? And and Steph. So uh, wonderful you. news. Um. All good. All good in an otherwise difficult time. So, so Mark, 51 days until November 3rd. Right. And 129 days until the next president gets inaugurated. The polls are consistent. Right. Biden is up about 7.5 points. Seven and a half points in in the national nationally, polls. right? Which we all know is an indicator, but not in fact how we elect a president. Right, it's it's an indicator. His polling margin uh, nationally is about five per five points greater than the average national polling margin in presidential elections over the last thirty years. Right. So he's got and a substantial advantage. He is critically, statistically at or over 50%. You can't, right. you can't beat someone at 50.1%. The polls have been very consistent. I, I've seen some data. They, they've been polling Biden v. Trump back to last year. Mm-hmm. And Trump started in the low 40s and Biden started around 50 and that's still where the polls are right so they they haven't moved very much um there are fewer undecided voters this year than yes, there were in some 16 estimates i've seen as low as a handful literally 5 6% 10% yeah, lower that, than a lot of years it's it's 5% fewer or there are right. there are many fewer undecided voters than there were in 2016 the margin is is Usually much tighter you see a 10 to 15 percent undecided block 51 days out you're seeing here a five to ten percent block 
Right. So it's significantly smaller. The, and it's not going to break 100% one way or the other, obviously. It's going to no. break in some close, divided manner like the rest of the country and the rest of the election. So the undecided vote is not, in my mind, what's going to determine this election. In, in fact, the the undecided vote, according to the most recent polls, leans, it's, it's independent, but it leans conservative. So Trump clearly could pick up a bunch of the undecided voters, but I agree. It isn't going to go, it isn't going to decide the election. So, so what is, what do you think? And what, what is Mark? Well, they call it uh, an October surprise for a reason. It, it's a surprise. We, by definition, don't know what the surprise is going to be, but you can be pretty sure there'll be one. Uh, it, what is going to decide the election, Howard, is turnout. And what is going to decide turnout is what happens between now and voting which begins in a lot of places very soon. And by November 3rd, you may have as much as half the country, 40 to 50% having already voted. So that October surprise is going to surprise fewer voters than in the past, a smaller percentage because so many will have voted. But something's going to happen, and it's going to push this thing one way or the other. It's going to take a bad surprise, though, to beat Joe Biden. Biden is not only ahead nationally, as we were just discussing, he's ahead everywhere he needs to be. He's ahead by a good bit in some of the swing states, a little bit in some of the others. He's tied more or less, we think, in Florida. And we will we will see what happens on election day. I think the uh, the surprise is going to be when we actually get all the votes counted because it isn't going to be on election day. Right. And although it's, it's possible, I mean, different States do it differently. I was looking through the, the swing States right. and some of them start counting well before election day and they count them as they come in. Others, right. Don't start counting until election day. Most don't start counting until election day. Some, like Pennsylvania, start opening ballots when the polls open. So you do get a day of counting in, although no results are released anywhere until all the polls are closed. But a lot of states don't even start counting till the polls close. And I think, I think there is a chance. A, a credible chance that at midnight on November 3rd, 1 a.m. on November 4th, Donald Trump could be ahead. He may be ahead in the in-person voting, and he may declare himself the winner, but when all the votes are counted, he won't be, because he for sure is going to lose the mail-in vote by a lot. Probably. And, and so, but, but how can Biden lose this thing, Mark? What are you worried about? <laughs> Everything is the simple, uh, 
answer. Uh, How about the debates? I was I mean, just going to say, Joe's yeah. got to get through that first debate. <laughs> the debates and, are, are all about lowering expectations and then exceeding them. Right, right. And Trump has consistently lowered Sleepy Joe's expectations. I think it's a tactical mistake that he is beaten up so badly on Biden for being asleep and taking performance enhancing drugs and all sorts of other nonsense. But the bar is low for Joe and it's been set low by Trump and Joe yeah. has to clear it in that first debate. If he has a good, strong first debate, and I think he can, and I think he will, I think he's been good out on on the stump. He's out of the basement, Howard. You've been waiting all summer. He's out of the kind of sorta. I mean, he well, is. He's but... not holding maskless rallies like the uh, the president uh, is. But but it's that first debate, a a good first debate, and it's going to be hard to stop him, barring some catastrophic surprise. A a bad first debate would be that worries me. It that could worries flip. me. I mean, it, it could, could if, flip. Yeah, if if Biden is looks old and confused. Yeah, uh, if he actually underperforms the low expectations, it could really hurt him. It, it could really hurt him. But again, the expectations are low. I think unfairly low. I do not think Joe Biden is asleep. Far from it. I mean, it's but it's stupid. He's just. I don't get, understand the sleepy thing. It that's just weird. It again, as a tactical matter, why would you lower expectations? Right, right, for the other your right. your opponent. Right. But he's he's just got to get through the first one, Howard, because by the right. second one, a no lot one of people care. have voted and have right. stopped watching, and by right. the third one, the cake is baked. Right. So September right. twenty nine. September yeah. 29, cool. um, 16 days. That is going I'm to be. Worried. I'm worried. I mean. I'm not worried about Biden's performance. I trust him. I have complete confidence in, in the vice president. I'm just. He's thankful for that. Mark. It's, I know. I, I Well, when he hears this tomorrow, <laughs> I'm sure we'll get a note of, of, of thanks. But, but, you know, look who he's debating. Anything goes with this other guy on the stage. It's it's unbelievable. But X of the debates and a surprise. By definition, yeah. I'm repeating myself, I know, but a surprise is a surprise. I don't know what it is, so I can't address it. X of a bad debate or a bad surprise, it's I like our chances. I yeah. like her chances a lot. I mean, look, one thing obviously everybody is expecting. Trump to try to make it look like a vaccine is here um, before the election. But there's actually been some very strong um, uh, effort by by the FDA and by the pharmaceutical companies to put up some guardrails. Yep. Extraordinary joint letter, joint pledge by the pharmaceutical companies not to bring a vaccine out before it's ready. And that was uh, a repudiation of the pressure that we all know is being put on them and on, on the regulators to get a vaccine out. But, 
but it's even the announcement of a vaccine in October isn't going to change the dynamic of this race because the people who are today for Biden aren't going to believe it. And the people who today are for Trump are are going to let him shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not and not care. He he's proven that with these Woodward revelations, which we all knew, but the confirmation in his own voice, hearing the man say aloud that he knew and he didn't tell us and he let two months, month and a half go by. It it isn't shooting someone on Fifth Avenue. It it's killing a hundred thousand people who didn't need to die, and it hasn't moved the the polls a molecule because everybody is locked in and and not listening. So, Mark, turnout is different as we were alluding to earlier. It's just it means something different this time around than it has in prior elections. It it means filing for your mail-in ballot. It means... Yeah, you got you know, to really want to vote. You got to... Yeah. You got to really want to vote. You got to either get that mail-in ballot and get it back in time that it's going to get counted, or you got to find out where to go and show up with a mask and stand six feet back in a yeah. line. I don't think that's such a big deal, but obviously people aren't going to want to do it. I won't, I don't want to do it. I I got my mail-in ballot ordered through Montgomery County, Maryland, and yeah, you know they have normally Montgomery County, Maryland has two hundred and eighty plus polling places, physical in-person voting. This time around, they have about forty. Well, that is exactly what I'm saying. That's yeah. the big deal about in-person voting. It isn't that people are risking their lives if they're careful; it'll be safe. It's that there are so many fewer polling places, right? And that's pandemic-related, right? And right. that that is a challenge, and. It's going to drive in Montgomery County, Maryland, in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, where we're waiting for our mail-in ballots. It's going to drive a lot of people to a mail-in, which is, again, why on election night itself, the in-person vote is going to look different than the ultimate vote, I think. So, Mark, I don't know if you saw, but today Trump announced a couple of executive orders on, on drug pricing. I, I did. Professor Alderman will be teaching that in her health policy class, so she alerted me. Okay, so what do you make of that? I think it is, first of all, if they do what he says they do, I think it's a good thing that Medicare is going to now negotiate drug prices. I don't know that he can do that by executive order. It may require legislation, in fact. But but again, it it isn't going to change anybody's mind. And those five to ten percent who are undecided, I don't think are paying attention to Trump's executive orders on drug pricing. You know who's loving it? Joe Biden. Yeah. Because if he wins, 
he inherits that. Yep. And I, it's, it's just, it's always fascinating having been through a bunch of presidential transitions mm-hmm. on the inside, you know, Trump is a wild man and he's all over the place. And obviously you and I both view him as, as, as not a stable non-genius, but there's stuff he's done like this. That's an expansion of executive power. Every president wants a broader range of executive power. And yeah, they hate Trump and they criticize Trump, but Biden, this is well, good. This is actually good for Biden if he wins. It, I think it is largely inconsequential in the election. I think yeah. it, in a Biden administration, it's good policy. And if Biden can accomplish it by an affirmation of Trump's orders, good. Good. But there's been, uh, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but there has been, as you well know, Howard, you were candidly part of it. uh, And I say that uh, not pejoratively, uh, but there has been since World War II, a steady expansion of executive power. It isn't an R thing. It isn't a D thing. It has happened under all administrations. It has happened dramatically in the Trump administration, despite the howling about Obama's executive orders. And these orders today are a continuation of that. Yeah. And look, Mark, I mean, every senior official in the executive branch wants more authority and more power and fewer strings and doesn't want Congress looking over their shoulder and doesn't want to have to go through the legislative process. I mean, I was one of them. You've you've been there. Although in fairness, uh, your, your TARP program was more or less within, you were coloring inside the lines. It was more or less what Congress authorized. Yeah. The auto but, bailout was aggressive, but be, great, but, great policy, by the way. But yeah, not even like more in the, under the routine scenario and in, in the in the day to day kind of steady state kind of world. You just you you, you don't, don't want, want you don't want to have to answer to Congress. You don't want you want to be able to do what you what's the yeah. you think is the right thing to do, and every president wants that, and yeah, Biden will too. Biden will too, and all of the demands for congressional oversight uh, will flip if the Democrats are are in the White House. I know one of the highlights of your career in government was congressional oversight. I know. Yes, you, it was special. You were a big fan of that. It was special. Trump obviously has taken resistance of that to a new level, but sure, Biden isn't going to want it. Uh, any more than any other president. I mean, it, it's not, it's not fun. You can see it's not fun. You know, when you get raked over the coals by folks up on the Hill and by the way, it's also most times it's not partisan. Like people don't see that side of Washington. They, they think this town is all about Republicans and Democrats feuding with one another. No, no, 
Oftentimes it's about well, the House versus the Senate. Right. It's about constituent issues far more than it is about Republicans versus Democrats. I mean, now we're living through an extraordinary time with Trump and obviously, obviously everything is hyper Trump versus the Democrats. But but in normal times, and this, these are not normal times, in normal times, it's it's much less about partisan politics and much more about constituent constituent issues and pet projects well, and, for and particular members institutional and, dynamics uh, obviously the 100% trump versus the world is a total eclipse of the sun but behind that eclipse is the historic friction between the house and the senate that continues i've had many house members refer to the senate as a graveyard and not because of the average age of its members but because you send something over and it goes nowhere whether the house is republican or or democratic all of that institutional stuff with a little luck with a little luck will become again the dynamic in washington if we can get past the hyper ultra diseased partisanship of of the moment maybe the fever breaks in a biden administration may, maybe not maybe not because as we've said many times trump is a symptom and a cause you when he's gone the part he caused will go but the underlying illness that he's a symptom of is is still going to be with us yeah so meanwhile, Trump has had a couple of rough weeks. Uh, he had the story in the Atlantic about him calling fallen war heroes losers, followed by the Bob Woodward book in which, as you referred to earlier, he says he admits in his own words that he knew about the severity of the pandemic sooner than he told the American people. Um, you know, what, what can he, he do to, to recover? I don't think, I, I don't think he can. It, again, he can, uh, he can stay standing while Joe Biden falls down at the first debate. Yeah. But that isn't something unless Trump pushes him physically, that isn't something he that can, isn't out of the realm. cause. It's not isn't out of the realm no, of possibilities no. that they take it outside. I, I think the uh, revelations about the military are in a way even more profound than the Woodward disclosures. This it, it's my sense from talking to a lot of sick. people actually. I don't understand. Know, I don't it's well sick. he is he is an extremely sick individual. We know that he's sick and, and evil, but but I don't pretend to know the military. I am privileged to know many people who do. And what they tell me is that it was incremental, it was step by step, but that these revelations have tipped the balance and that Trump has lost the military. He's lost the military leadership that started happening with the misuse of the military to attack 
peaceful protesters. But I think these revelations have now lost the rank and file. And and that is hugely consequential. I don't know. I don't know know because nothing sticks to the guy. Yeah, I know. And and I don't, it, it is it's the shooting someone in, in the middle of fifth yeah, Avenue. I mean, I don't, I don't know, Mark, like a lot of people that you and I know, and you have to admit, you do know some Trump voters who they're, they're willing to vote for him for their own reasons. And they know he's a bad guy and they don't oh, care. Absolutely. Right. And, right. and so I, I don't know. I don't know that it, I mean, obviously it doesn't cost him the total military vote but oh no no I, i'm talking about but, the balance i'm yeah, not talking I mean, about it isn't going to help them <laughs> that's well, not going to attract military voters that's for sure yeah you know it it remains it remains to me and many of us a mystery why it is that otherwise responsible, rational, moral Americans stand by this man, revelation after revelation after revelation. But I I am coming to understand that it's not him that they are standing because by. Because it's... He's just, well, he's a channel for frustration. It's not business as usual. Right, right. It is, and, it, it is burn it down. If you are mad enough or alienated enough, and many of these Americans with justification are mad enough and are alienated enough by Washington and by the media and by Wall Street and by science, then he's the match. He He's the match, and you don't much care whether the match is a good or bad man. You know, Mark, I'm convinced that Hillary would have won four years ago had she not made her deplorables comment. Didn't help. She called 50% of the people that voted for Trump racist, xenophobic, et cetera. And it's just not, it's not true. And I don't support the man. Nope. Um, uh, I work for George W. Bush and I don't support the man and lots of people that I know that are similarly situated are in the same place. But it was a deplorable comment about the deplorables. It was a damaging comment. Forget for a moment, I, true I'm or false. It really hurt her. I think it did. I think it really hurt her. And, and I think, the, I it's, think people, it's why not- do people stick with him? Because they're hurting. Because they're disadvantaged because they feel like the deck is stacked against them and, and working hard to pull up other people while these folks in rural America that are hurting or in factory towns and that they feel left behind. No, I get it. And, and I agree, but I guess what I'm saying is for a while, I didn't get how they could think he would help them. I no longer think that they think he's going to help them. I they think just don't think the other exactly person is. Right. They just want him to burn it down, and they know the other guy isn't going to help them. But but now we come full circle. You know, it's, it's real interesting when you rip the crosstabs and the rest on those polls. You know, Joe Biden is doing better. 
with those voters than Hillary Clinton did for for a, a reason. He's bizarrely not doing as well with uh, Latina voters. Right, which, Trump's doing better. Which is, I think, they, it, well, one size does not fit all Cuban Americans in Florida. Right, don't. you can't paint with a broad brush. Yeah, it's like. Yeah. But I, mean, I you, want to. I want yeah. to uh, just say, uh, come in full circle. The the only way I think in which we actually know what happens on election night or the next morning is if, if, if Biden wins Florida. If the in-person vote in Florida on election day is Biden ahead of Trump, then we aren't going to have to wait a month to find out the answer. Because without Florida, there is no credible path. Never say never. You can. It, it's like your team is never mathematically eliminated when you know they're not going to win. Anyway, he can. He is not going to win if he loses Florida. And and we may know that. We we may we may know that sooner. Yeah. Well, to be continued. 51 days. And uh, we will be back uh, next week. Good. Uh, thanks for listening. Great. Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.